For such a time as this For such a time as this, God We've waited for this day We've gathered in your name
Holy Spirit for leading us to praise. Show us. Show us, show us your glory. Show us, show us your power. Show us, show us your glory, Lord. Do you want to see Him? Show
Thank you. 
of the Spirit of the Lord. I want you to be seated for a minute. Pastor David has a lot to say today about community, so I'm going to try to be really brief in our exhortation. But I want to say that the Lord has really ignited my heart to go after the heart of the people because the Lord is telling me that He wants 
to be your first love. He wants to be your first love. And one of the greatest battlefields that the enemy is persistent so that your heart's devotion and heart's passion is compromised is the enemy is persistent in attacking your mind because your mind is connected with your heart's passion. So if the enemy can cause you to yield to the world's way of thinking, he can seduce you away from making Jesus your number one. Jesus is called the Word of God. That was one of Jesus' names, the Word of God. Now, I want to say something to you. At the Jesus spoke about the end times. Paul the Apostle wrote about the end times. And one of the characteristics of the end times, according to what Jesus said, is this. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. He was talking about followers. The world's love for God is already cold and dead. But one of the Let's listen. Let's listen. If we need some help here, please, board members, come and help us there. Let's listen, okay? The heart waxing cold. And, it, and that's what Jesus said, is that the heart would wax cold. And we have to beware of, in the last days, our heart waxing cold. Paul the Apostle wrote in his last books to Timothy, he spoke of the end times and he said that First Timothy 4, 1 and 2, the Spirit clearly says that in later times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. Then he goes on to tell us as leaders, in verse 6, if you point these things out to the brothers and sisters, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ. I am telling you, I want to be a good shepherd. Pastor David and I want to be good shepherds to you. I'm also going to say, guess what? We are in the end times. Now, people don't want to see that. I never actually in my journey thought that that's where I would be. I thought, you know what, I'd pass into eternity. And, but I'm going to say there are so many characteristics of Scripture coming to pass. And, and particularly the status of the church with the problem of deceiving spirits waxing the hearts of people cold where they go after the things of the world rather than Jesus. This is one of the greatest temptations to believers is the seducing of the world. See, the enemy is persistently after the children of God to get their heart to wax cold. And I'm going to say, Pastor David and I are committed. We're going to go after this. We're going to go after the heart waxing cold. And it begins with our thought life. Let me challenge you to be a heart checker. 
every we why do we want you here because we will confront things that maybe during the week you won't have confronted it's helpful in the community of faith to have that confrontation to our own hearts and minds so that our hearts do not wax cold this is your protection the community of faith is your protection the word of god is your protection how do you know if lies and deceiving spirits are coming against your mind know the word of god we're not going to let our hearts grow cold. We're not going to let the philosophies of the world be what steers our life. We're going to take captive those things. As Paul writes, for though we walk in the flesh, we are not carrying on our warfare according to the flesh or using the weapons of man. The weapons of our warfare are not physical. Our weapons are divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses talking about the mind we are destroying sophisticated arguments and every exalted and proud thing that sets itself against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought and bring it under obedience to Christ Jesus that's our job people because that's how we're going to keep our hearts passionate for him I want you to stand up I have a stirring in my spirit to protect your hearts. But the way that your shepherds protect your hearts is by preaching his word without compromise. Without, with pre not telling you what to he want to hear, not preaching the popularity of the world, not preaching to be, oh, so you're acceptable to the world, but that you have the Word of God in you and that you're able to take captive every thought, things that come against you, things that the world wants you to agree with, things that the enemy is trying to seduce you with, that that you are able to say that is not of God that is not of God and the second part of that is protecting your own heart that I'll have a passion for Jesus and when we say that we say he is number one in our lives he, nothing is above Jesus you hear me nothing no, your guess what I'm gonna tell you your family is not above Jesus your marriage is not above Jesus. Your job is not above Jesus. Your 5013B or 401k or bank account is not above Jesus. Nothing is above your future plans. What you want is not above Jesus. Jesus in the sports is not above Jesus. Shopping is not above Jesus. Your pleasures are not above Jesus. Come on, we're going to go after things. Jesus is number one. Right now, I just want to challenge our hearts. And you know what? Coldness sets in quite easily. Coldness or hardness of heart can set in very easily. And that, that's why we continue to go after it. I continue to go after, Lord, I want to be passionate for you. Daily passionate for you. This house will be passionate. I mean, we're going to challenge you. We're going to challenge you to have that passion for the Lord. Being in love with Jesus. He's number one in our lives. We look to him. Right now, let's just lift up our own selves right now. Lord, 
if there's any place in our hearts and minds that where the enemy is trying to deceive us where we're growing cold where we've allowed the priority of something else to be before you Lord the priority of you Lord you are number one in this house Lord, I pray, Father, that we would have ears open to your word. Lord, that our hearts would be softened to hear your word, but not just be hearers only, but doers of your word. That we would allow your word to change us, to transform our minds, so that we will know what your good and pleasing and perfect will is. Because you have empowered your children to know these things. We're not a people that's confused. We're not a people that's compromised. We're not a people that walk dragging and weak. No, we are warring people. We have the spirit of God. We are able to discern. We're able to know what your good and perfect and pleasing will is. We're able to take those thoughts captive. We're able to pull down strongholds. We are a powerful people in the earth because you are our king and you are our Lord. In your precious name, amen, amen. God bless you. May be seated. We're going to have communion later on in the service after Pastor David speaks. Just want to touch base with some things, some announcements. If you're a visitor, there's a card in the pew in front of you. Just fill it out. You can put your information in the offering. It's going to come by in a few minutes. Secondly, if your information has changed Or if you don't know if we have your information because you're not getting the e-newsletters and different things like that, please just put it on a card. We need to update our system. Put it on the card. Put it in the offering because we want to update so that you receive communication. We have a lot of things going on. Next week is our fall launch. One of the new ministries that we began during this summer was for our young professionals. Pastor Nick and Rebecca are doing a lot of things with our young professionals. You know, the truth is this young professional age group is a high risk group. The enemy loves to try to come in because they have specific needs. Try to kill, steal, and destroy, seduce them to the world. And we know that we need to nurture them, nurture their faith, nurture community. So have young professionals, you know, get involved with our young professional ministry next week free tacos for everybody one of our favorite Sundays but we have a fall launch service both services we're going to talk about all the ministries it's really going to all be about the launching of our ministries you know after the COVID years you know uh, people have uh, stepped back from attending ministries And the enemy wants to use that to weaken people. We're building back up the community of faith here. And we want everyone to be involved in some small group of some form. We're going to go and talk about that next week. Bring a friend. uh, Bring people who don't have a church home. And uh, yeah, free tacos. Tacos will be served at noon for the first service. So you'll return. Be here at noon, and then the second service gets out around 12.15 to 12.30. They'll follow you up in the taco line. It's going to be a fun time. Be here next week. The men's retreat is coming up September 16th to 18th. You still can sign up. Mount Hermon's allowing it. We've already met 
the uh, minimum quotient. We have 28 men already signed up. The biggest men's retreat that we've ever had so far. God has powerful things for you. Come expecting. Um, even if you can't come on like Friday night or something, talk to Pastor David because he wants you to be there. It's going to be powerful. We started a new ministry called Intercessory Prayer the last Friday of the month. It's, it's led by our sister, Rayma. And the next time it's happening here, right here at 9 a.m. on September 24th. Please attend if you can. We need to cover this house with prayer. We also have our annual business meeting coming up. And we need to announce it. It is after the second service on October 2nd. So there you go. I think we're going to have nominations for board members you can uh, nominate somebody for the board. The forms are out there in the lobby. Women, remember, our retreat's coming up as well. Please sign up now for it. We want to have a great group. God is going to do incredible things. Healing in His wings is the theme of that retreat. Finally, Minister Partner of the Week is Prakash and Nina Sharmo. You are familiar with them. There are church planters in Nepal Gunj in Western Nepal. They're doing fantastic. The church is growing. He has a, a ministry school that he does out of the church that we built for him. We just put on the second story for their home so that they could have some private space for their family. That's all done. It's all paid for. And actually, if you get my Women of the World e-newsletter, uh, e you'll see pictures of that being completed. Uh, you know what? This is a global church. God is doing incredible things globally through this house. We give God praise for that, and we're going to continue to move forward. Finally, if you want to listen to our sermons online, you know where to find them. If you don't get the e-newsletter, that's the reason to get it. You can find out where we have all of our podcasts. It's a good time to just send them forward if you know of somebody that has a need and a message can meet that needs. Pass them on to somebody else. Time to give our tithes and offerings. Ushers, please come forward. The Lord is good to this house. Multiplication. You know what? The Lord has promised me. You do what I tell you to do, and I'm going to cover this house. You preach my word, and I'm going to make sure that there's always bread in this house. You give my bread out, and I'll make sure you have bread for this house. Pastor and David and I are committed to that, and that is the reason why there's bread in this house. Lord, we bow our heads before you. We give our tithes and offerings to you as worship to you, as obedience to you, and to show forth in a practical way that you are number one in our lives. We thank you in your name. Amen. God bless you as you give. crazy places. You could be in a rehab hospital. You could be in a cemetery. 
You could be in an ambulance going someplace. Aren't you glad you're in the house of the Lord? Yes. I'll tell you, I met someone the other day at a store, and I, I always ask the, uh, the people that are uh, serving me when I'm at a store, hey, how's your day going? And I, I love this uh, elderly woman. She looked at me. She goes, every day I'm not in a hospital bed is a good day for me. And I thought, isn't that a great perspective, you know? Hey, I want to talk to you this morning. We're, we've been doing a series now. I think we're on like 26 or 27 uh, topics we've, we've looked at. And I want to talk to you this morning about the, the aspect of community. And there's going to be, a, 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 I'm going to be more of the, the teacher today, if you will, okay? Uh, but what I want you to do is later on, I'm going to be giving a, a bunch of slides with a lot of scripture on it. And if you want to grab your cameras, your, your cell phone, and take photos of those, because it's going to be, I'm going to go through them pretty quick, okay? But I want to talk to you because let's, let's take a step back. The body of Christ is to gather together for the purpose of edifying and strengthening one another. That's really why we're, to, we're, to, we're coming together, right? And if you, you look back three years, how many could you remember three years ago? Okay, three years ago, the concept of social distancing, we really didn't even come to terms with. Most of us probably never even talked about the, the idea of social distancing. But what happened during COVID is COVID changed all of that. And what has happened, it's now social distance is, is the norm. So if you go to meet someone for the first time, you don't know if you stick out your hand, you stick out your elbow, you give them the namaste or whatever you're going to do. It, like people don't know how to react, you know. I was at a, a, a place the other day and I, I met someone and I, I went to shake their hand and like, don't touch me. And I'm like... Well, you know, okay. Uh, I understand your concern of mental hygiene or social hygiene and physical hygiene, but I do wash my hands. I've got four booster shots. You know, I, you know I'm like, I, I'm, I don't really, that doesn't bother me, you know. And I was thinking about this because COVID has really changed our perspective of health and not necessarily in a positive way in all areas. Uh, one of the things that has happened as a result of this social distancing is there is an incredible increase in mental health issues. Social, we were, I don't know about you, but we were not created to be socially distanced. We were created to be in community. Right. We were created to be with one another. God created man and created woman. It says it's good for man not to be alone. And all the wives say when your husband's alone for a week, you can say, yeah, it's good to come home and domesticate him. Right, ladies? Uh, we were not created to be isolated in islands. You become strange. You become abnormal. You become a little bit weird when you're isolated like that. And social isolation has increased the levels of depression and anxiety. Uh, it, it actually affects your immune systems. Actually, studies have shown, there's numerous studies have shown that isolation actually increases the, the, the onset of uh, Alzheimer's. Uh, it increases the onset of, of physical illnesses in your body. So one of the things that is really concerning me as a pastor, and probably those that are sitting here are, are not necessarily the ones that need to hear this as much as the ones that are going to listen to it later, but we need to be in community. Right. We need to be in community. Right. Now, does that mean we ignore health requirements of washing our hands? and that? No, no. But you were not created to be isolated. You were created to be part of a body. We are the body of Christ. Now, what would happen if I would cut my hand off 
and just set it over here and say, oh, I want my hand to, to do its function. Well, without the arm and without the central nervous system and without the brain, it's not going to be able to move. And that's the same thing that happens with us as people. So one of the things that I really want to strive and, and, and press in is the scripture tells us we're to stir up one another to love and good works. Now, you know, Pastor Lynn and I, we joke all the time, but it's, pr it's pretty true. We live like college students now. We don't have, our children are all grown up. We, uh, when we decide what we want to eat, I look at her and say, what do you want to make for dinner? And we look at each other and say, reservations. Let's go out someplace. Let's grab a taco on the way home. Let's go out and just get whatever we want. But, you know, we are called to stir up. I do know what it means to stir up. When I make my oatmeal in the morning, I throw in berries and I stir it up. And that's what I want to do as your pastor. I want to stir up your understanding of what it means to be part of the community of Christ. Amen? Amen. So the Bible speaks a great deal about uh, community. If you look in the Old Testament, there's a couple passages in Proverbs I want to look at. The first one is in Proverbs 17:17, 17, 17. And community, the Bible talks about relational support comes in a community. When you're involved in a community, there are people that are going to work alongside of you. That sometimes, sometimes you're strong, sometimes you're not. Sometimes you need a little help from a friend. And that's what it says. Look what it says. A friend loves at all times, but a brother is born for a time of adversity. You know what? You know who your real friends are when you go through a difficult time. Yeah. When you, everything's going good, people are just, oh, yeah, they're all around you. But when, when things start to go south, you can really tell who your friends are. Right. Second proverb that talks to us is Proverbs chapter, chapter 27, verse 17. And it talks about how community helps to sharpen our spiritual understanding of who we are. As iron sharpens iron. You know what happens when iron sharpens iron? There's sparks, right? There's a grinding. You know, how many of you, don't raise your hands, how many of you know that certain times you're near with community, it, it's grinding, you know? There's a little bit of a rub there, you know? You know, there's a little bit of a, but what it is doing is it's, it's allowing you to become sharpened. It's allowing you to get that spiritual edge that you were created to understand who you are in Christ. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm so excited, men, if you haven't signed up for the men's retreat, it's not too late. I'm excited because I'm going to talk about what it means to be a son of God, what it means to be part of the body of Christ, because we are called to build each other up, to, to sometimes to rub each other, to get those, those dull edges off of us so that we can be the men and, and, and called to serve the Lord the way he's asked us to. You see, community is a lot, it's, it's bringing together a lot of different people. And, and I don't know about you, but there are certain people that rub you the wrong way. But you're called to be part of their community. You're called to be brothers in Christ, sisters in Christ. And, and if, if, if you're not in that sense of community, you're not going to be able to grow. Flip over to the New Testament. Look what Paul, and Paul talks a ton about community. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, Paul says this, I appeal to you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that you all agree with one another to what uh, you say and that there be no divisions among you. Unity is an aspect of community. Now let me, say, let me say something here. That doesn't mean we all have to be cooker cutter Christians. We don't have to all be the same. You know, if I get up in the morning and I look like Michael Cameron, I would be shocked. Robin would be confused, right? You would look in the mirror and say, good Lord, what happened to my, my, my hair, if you have hair? Most of us in this room have some hair, but there's the rest of us that are 
challenged in that area. We are different. God loves diversity. You know, I was thinking about this and I was thinking about, I remember before I was a believer, I had a a high school music teacher that was a pastor's wife. And I remember in school, she used to teach songs. And I remember her teaching a song in a public school. This was, you know, last century, I tell the kids at school here. But it was red and yellow, black and white. They are precious in his sight. You know, the diversity in the body of Christ is a beautiful thing. And we should never go for conformity. We should go for the uniqueness that each of us have as individuals. Another thing that Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 25 and 27, he says, when you're in a sense of community, you're going to find relational support. You're going to find handholds. I used to do a lot of rock climbing when I was younger. And the thing about rock climbing, they tell you, is you always want to have three points of contact. Why? Because if you have three points of contact, you can pretty much hold on anywhere you're at. And one of the things that we want to do, we want to have multiple places where we're able to connect with one another. And, and that's where division comes in. You know, division, Scripture is very hard on people that cause division in the church. You know that? It basically says you should correct them, and if they don't respond properly, you should set them aside and not have any fellowship with them. Unity is one of the core values that we have as your pastors. When we have staff, we came back from our vacation, and I realized we had four new staff members at the school, and I sat down with them, and I tell them this. The number one priority we have working here at Crossroads, either in the church or the school, is the concept of shalom. That means we function together having a sense of unity and peace. It's holistic. It's not, oh, I'm just going to like you when I like you, but it's gonna like, I'm going to like you and get along with you even when I have a, an aversion to something you're doing because we're going to have a unified spirit. How beautiful it is when brothers dwell together in unity. It's like the anointing that flows down over Aaron, over his head, over his beard, down to the tips of his robes, and that's what we want in our community. Paul goes on in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14, and says that we also can have a sense of spiritual uh, em- encouragement that comes in our Christian community. He says, I urge you, and listen to this. This is what Scripture says. This is why we're making strong men and women of faith in this church. Because Paul's words are the same words we're going to do. I'm going to urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive, encourage the uh, uh, disheartened, help the weak, and be patient with everyone. Now, most of that I can get along with. I, I, I sometimes am a little bit impatient, if you haven't figured that out. Anyone else like that? Teresa, quit laughing. Teresa works with me. She's my admin, and she, we, we often, often joke around, and we'll say, am I using my inside voice or my outside voice? Not talking about loudness, but actually, am I saying what I'm thinking? You know, because sometimes when you're not patient, people, they, if they rub you the wrong way, but you know what? That's God's working out the fruit of the Spirit in you. The very thing that sometimes people do that are an annoyance to you is God saying you're not as as sanctified as you think you are. You're not as holy as you think you are. And we have to come together in community so that we can grow and build each other up. Somebody say amen. Another thing, if you look at Paul says to the church in Galatia, he says one of the things we do when we're in community is we we, we bear one another's burdens. Do you know that not everyone sitting in this room this morning is having a great day. You know, we come to church and we put our church face on, right? Everyone knows what that is. How you doing? Oh, doing great. When inside you're just in turmoil. You know, part of bearing one another's burdens is being honest with one another, sharing 
Sometimes, you know, you need a little help from a friend. Sometimes you need someone to just encourage you. Sometimes, you know, yesterday I took, finally got my camper off uh, my truck and I was putting my tailgate back on. And my tailgate is, you know, it's, you got to put it on and then there's a little part over the side that's at an angle. And I was putting it on and I, I just got my hand underneath the tailgate and it dropped on my hand. And I was like, ah, oh, ah. Oh. And all of a sudden my neighbor across the street comes over and goes, do you need a little help from a friend? You know, and I said, yeah, I do. I said, thank you, Michael. I appreciate it. You know, we need people to help us. And in the body of Christ, it's so important that we get some help just to to bear one another's burdens. Because what Paul says, when you do that, you are fulfilling the law of Christ. Now, we understand we live under grace, but there is a law that Christ has that we should be in a sense of community. So we're building each other up and strengthening each other. James tells us in James chapter 5, verse 16, that when we come together in community, there's a healing component that comes together so that we can pray for one another. I love what he says. He says, if you confess your sins to one another, wow, how many of you want to confess your sins? Pastor Lynn, can I have your microphone? We're going to have people come up and confess their sins. I mean, does anyone want to come up? That's not the way we do it. We don't do it publicly to shame you. We do it with brothers and sisters so they can encourage us so that if you're going through a difficult situation, you're struggling with something in your life, there's someone you can confess to so they can help hold you accountable, not to to drive your face into the mud, but they can say, hey, I've got you with this. I've got your back at this. I can help you through this. And that's what God wants us to do. And he says, when we do that, listen to what he says. We pray for one another so that you may be healed. Part of community is helping people through difficult situations and praying with them and blessing them. And he says, and then you'll see the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Then you go to the words of Jesus, and I love this. In Matthew chapter 18, verse 20, Jesus shows up when we're in community. You know that? Where two or three gather in my name, he's there. So if you, you and another person meet up, that's two, right? And the Holy Spirit's there, and Jesus is there, and the Father's presence is there, and we come together in unity, and Christ shows up. That's why it's so important for us to gather together. It's not because we have nothing else to do on a Sunday morning. We come together for spiritual encouragement and nurturance. That's what God wants from us. And then he says in Romans chapter 1, verse 11 and 12, he says that spiritual gifts are grown and multiplied when we come together in community. He says... Paul says, I long to see you so that I can impart spiritual gifts to you to make you strong. How many of you want to be stronger in your faith? Come together in unity. Come together in service. Come together where the Spirit of God can speak to you and stir up those gifts in you. You know, my role as a pastor, Pastor Lynn's role as a pastor, Pastor Nick's role, Pastor Rebecca's role, Pastor Sandy's role, all of our roles as pastors is to stir up the spiritual gifts that are within you that you may not even know that are there, but God has given to you so that you can grow and mature in your faith. I don't know about you, but I'm getting blessed. And then he says in Romans chapter 12, verse 5, he says, there's a spiritual integration that comes. And this is really important. How many of you ever heard of the term synergy? Synergy is the ability, if you have two two units, two people, they can do more together than they can do separate, right? And something happens when we come together as the body of Christ. There is a spiritual synergy that happens that we can do more. Why do we do so much around the world as we do as a church? It's not because one person is the big giver. It's because we all give. 
You know, I told you several times over how our accountant thought that our church was about 1,000 people. She goes, we have, we have, I see all the money you guys are giving globally. I see all the things you're doing. She goes, how big is your church? I says, well, how big do you think it is? She goes, I think you're probably around 1,000 people. Why? And I'm, I'm like, why? And she goes, because I have other churches that are about 1,000, and they're giving what you guys are giving. You know? That's not a statement of pride. That's a statement of fact. Because we come together, and there's a spiritual thing that happens when we come together. And we, we, although we are many, we all belong to one another. And part of belonging to one another is realizing that Pastor Prakash and Nania in, in uh, Western Nepal are just as much a part of our community as you and I are. Because we are one in Christ. And then Hebrews says that there's a spiritual maturity that comes when we're in a, a sense of community. And he says, that's where we spur one another on. Now, the last time I rode a horse, I was thrown. I had a horse that did not like men, and the person that put me on the horse did not tell me that the horse did not like men. And we were riding, and it was just like clippity-cloppity, clippity-cloppity, and all of a sudden, the horse just decided, I don't like this guy, and took off, went, ran right across the two-lane road, and then stopped dead. And I did a over the handlebars, over the reins, hit the ground. That was the last time I rode a horse. But I did know this, that when you want the horse to get going a little, you, you nudge it with your heels. You, and if you have spurs on, the spurs poke into the side of the horse to make it move on. Let me tell you, as your pastor, I know there's times that we spur you on. And I know that there's times where you don't like being spurred on. But you know what? I'm called by Scripture to stick my heels in your ribs and tell you, get up off of that thing and start doing what the Lord's asked you to do. And that's what our role is. Our role as your pastor is to bring out things in you that you didn't know you had in yourself. That's right, pastor, preach it. Keep kicking me in the ribs, pastor. Keep kicking me in the ribs. I'm not going to kick you when you're down, but I'm going to kick you to do what God's called you to do. You know, James said, and, and it's interesting because when you look at community, we often, we often gloss over some of the problems in the early church. We think that, oh, they're so much more spiritual than us. No, they weren't. They were people just like you and I. We had Peter that was impetuous and talked before he thought. We had John Mark and, and, and Paul that got into arguments and didn't want to be with one another and, and kind of went their separate ways. The truth is, as long as we are people, there'll be problems within us, but that doesn't exclude us from being part of community. Right. The truth is that we work through them, and if you're going to be mature in your faith, you're going to have to put up with the weaknesses of other people. You know, The fact is that once you're in community, I, I tell people this all the time, the last individual act you and I ever do is confess our sins. From that point on, we're part of the body of Christ. And whether we like it or not, Jose and I are brothers. There's times that we may like each other, and there's times we may not like each other, but you can't choose family. You're part of it, and you are part of the family of Christ, and what God wants to do is raise up strong, vibrant men and women in faith, and one of the things that God does is he says, you know, I'm going to put you in a community that's going to make you the person that I want you to be. You see, and it's interesting because in the New Testament, as I said, we often gloss over people, and James James writes, he says, you know, that there's, you, you guys are being partial to people. Look what he says in James 2.1. He says, you're showing partiality. Why are you showing partiality to people? Why are you treating one person better than someone else? You know, as a believer, we should treat everyone like we treat the Lord. We should honor and respect. 
We should love one another. We should build each other up. We should cover each other's sins and not expose one another's sins, but we should help them to walk through those things. You know, and if you go and you keep reading through Paul's writings, I love the Apostle Paul because Paul is, he goes to the church of Galatia in chapter 2, verse 12 and 13, and he starts telling about how James was basically kind of fallen back into the way. The same guy that said, don't show partiality, was the same guy that went back and was falling into the traditional Jewish culture of not socializing and, and being with the non-Jew, and Paul had to rebuke him for it. Why? Because we, in community, develop one another and build each other up. And one thing that's important to understand about a Christian community, it's not about one age group, it's not about one socioeconomic group, it's not about the old or the young, it's, it's not an either or, it's an and. You know that? It's not about the wealthy or the middle class or the poor. It's about all of us together. It's not about the educated or the uneducated. We are to train each other. You know, the, the fact is that you've got two pastors with earned doctoral degrees. You may never go to college, but that doesn't matter because we can train you in righteousness. And you can learn, and we can learn from you, and you can learn from us because there's certain things that we do when we come together and we sharpen one another. And there may be a, you know, I, I, I was telling someone the other day, they were just saying, oh, I'm starting a, a, a master's program. I'm so excited to start teaching all the things I'm learning in my class to my, my church. And I thought, whoa, time out. Pastor Lynn and I had to unlearn things we've learned in seminary to be better pastors, right? So what we're going to do is we're going to work together to grow in faith. It's not about whether you're employed or unemployed. It's not whether if you're a citizen or you're, or you're an immigrant. It's not whether you're healthy or you're sick. It's that the fact we are brothers and sisters. That's what it's about. And it, part of being brothers and sisters is it means, you know, we're, we're family. We're part of the body of Christ, and we're working together, and that's what God wants us to do. So what is God's purpose in Christian community. What does God want to do through the church? That was my introduction. <laughs> You're laughing. I'm not. Okay. Uh, God, God's desire for the church is to build up the body of Christ. Our desire as your pastors is to make you the strongest Christians you can be, that you can survive on your own, that you can develop an understanding of who God is and you can be strong in your faith so that when you come together, you can bring together that spiritual synergy so that we're all stronger because we're all working together. We're all individually strong. You know, we are as strong as our weakest link. Do you know that? So when we come together for worship, it's not like, oh, Pastor Rebecca, wire me up and get me going so that I can worship. No, you worship all week long so when you come together, you're ready to praise and worship. You know, you can be like Teresa who walks around her neighborhood singing Christian music with her earbuds in at the top of her lungs and all of her neighbors think she's crazy. That's what you should be. You should be people that worship the Lord day and night. You don't come to church and say, okay, try to get me going. Pastor, you're kicking me in the ribs with those spurs. Yes, I am. So here's the first purpose of what Christian community is. We join people together from different backgrounds and different talents and train them for opportunities to do God's work. Do you know that? That's what we're called to do. We're called as your pastors to train you in righteousness so you can take the gospel into places that we would never be allowed to go. Do you know that? When you're working in your company and you have to have a security badge to get in and you swipe that security badge, if I would walk up and try to get in and say, sorry, you're not welcome here. You know, years ago, I was up in, in, in Oregon. I was uh, raising some support for India, 
And I, I drove by the Nike headquarters every day where I was staying. I was actually staying with our, our missionaries that were from Japan, the Shimomoras. And so one day I was driving by, I was about, about 12, 15, I thought, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go see the Nike place. So I went in and parked, and they had a visitor's parking spot, and I went in and parked, and then I walked in, and there were all these people walking in, and I had a Nike sweatshirt on and Nike shoes, and, and I'm walking in with all these people, and I'm walking around, and I thought, wow, this is really cool. I've never seen any of this. And so I pull out my, my phone, and I'm taking pictures of all these display cases, and all of a sudden, these two monstrous security guards come up to me, and they say, excuse me, sir, what are you doing? I said, oh, I'm just looking around the building. They said, you work here? I said, no, why? This is a closed campus. You can't be on this campus unless you have an ID badge. And I'm like, oh. Uh, and they each grabbed my arm and gently escorted me to the door, you know? I didn't belong there. But you know what? When you're part of the body of Christ, what happens is we train you so that you are belonging here that you know who you are in Christ, that you understand who you are in Christ. And one of the things that God's word tells us is that he wants to strengthen us. Listen to what he says in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. This is what the early church did. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship and breaking to bread and prayer. What, what this is, is this is telling us that the early church trained themselves in the Word of God. Not only did they train themselves in the Word of God, they, they, they hung out together with people that were of like precious faith so they gave me encouraged in that faith. And then they went on and they went to breaking bread. And that's, that's not talking about eating together, although that's important. But it's talking about what we're going to do at the end of the service. We're going to have communion together. And the reason I want to communion at the end of the service because we're going to talk about things. What are we doing as members of the body of Christ? And if we're not living a way the scripture tells us we should live as believers, we have to ask for forgiveness of that and restore ourselves. We should not take communion in a manner that's unworthy is what scripture says, right? And he says, and then we're going to de dedicate ourselves to prayer, all right? So what we, we look at is how, how can we as believers live this out? Because this was not done away with when the apostles died. This is what we should function like as a body of Christ. You know, if you go to Paul's writing to the church of Ephesus, he tells them in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14, don't be babies in your faith. One thing I can guarantee you, we will not give you spiritual pabla. We will not give you num-num food. We will not give you the milk of the word. As your pastors, we're going to give you the meat of the word. You know why? Because we're training you to be men and women who are strong in your faith. We're training you to rise up and not to be blown around by every wind of doctrine. You know what's interesting? I read an article yesterday. Uh, it was uh, an article from, uh, P or, uh, what do you call it, uh, NPR. And it was about religious leaders as a result of COVID, not just Christians, but Muslims and Jews and, and, and imams, you name every faith. There is a mass exodus of religious leaders. And they had an interview with this pastor who left his church, and he was telling why. And he said, because I couldn't deal with the emotional pressures. Time out. Aren't you supposed to be an expert in the word of God? Aren't you supposed to be a person that raises up and trains yourself in righteousness? And aren't you supposed to be a person that knows the Lord is the empowerer, knows the Lord is the one who equips you so that you can train other people in righteousness? Let me tell you, I'm not going to take you places I haven't been. I'm going to take you to a depth of the understanding of the word of God because I've been there and I know what it takes to get there and I'm going to take you along even if it means kicking you in the ribs to spur you on. You know, Paul, I love Paul because Paul, 
he talks a lot about what it means to be a believer. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 2, he talks about how the gift of prophecy should be there. But you know, if we don't have love, it doesn't matter if we're prophetic. And we are a prophetic house. We have that gifting that flows through here. But that doesn't mean we can't love one another. And one of the things that we need to do is we need to constantly cultivate love between one another. And let me tell you what true love is. Love is putting up with one another's differences. You know? Love is the fact that you may not like someone, but you're called to love them. You're called to be part of the body of Christ. And the beautiful thing about the body of Christ, look around this room. Look, even our staff. We have... We have different staff people from all different backgrounds. You know, we have, you look around the room, we have people from all different nations, all different skin tones, all different educational backgrounds, all different work experiences, all different social economic things. But that's what makes us the body of Christ. And when you have this monoculture of what some people think of what is Christianity, it, it, you get a little bit uncomfortable with people that aren't in your sphere. When we were doing our doctoral studies, and I was doing, my wife was doing her master's, and I was doing my doctoral, the big thing was get into the homogeneous unit. Have everyone in your church like one another. You know, that's not, the, that's not what Scripture says. That may be what professors in college say, but that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says, although we are many and we are different, we are one in Christ. So what did God give you spiritual pastors to do? To kick in the ribs to help you to grow. So you can be mature Christians. Second thing that we see from Christian community is that it, we are called to pass faith from one generation to the next. Do you know that right now, I just read an article from the Pew Research. Uh, uh, if you don't know who Pew Research is, they do studies on religion and, and that all across the, the, the United States. And there is a mass failure of the church to communicate the gospel to the next generation. And one of the things that concerns me is is Paul told Timothy in, in first, or 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, he says, I want to remind you of your faith, your sincere faith, that first lived in your, your grandmother, that lives in your mother, now lives in you. You see, there is a, a progression of passing the faith down. And after 40 years of being in ministry and 40 years of being in the church and 40 years of, of training people and helping people grow in the faith, there are things that we can do as parents that can either help or hinder our child's faith development. Yeah. Do you hear me? And one of the things that gets me is, is, now hear me when I say this. If you have children, it's not the church's responsibility to lead them to faith. Do you hear me? Our role is to assist you in leading them in faith. Your role, and, and I, I've had this over the 30 plus years I've been a pastor. Well, you know, we mess our kids up seven days a week, and we bring them to church one hour, and we want you to fix them, Pastor. They don't say that, but that's the way they live, you know? Or we don't, we don't practice our faith at home, but when we come to church on Sunday, I want you to get the turkey baster and give them injections so they could get through the next seven days living at home with parents that are inconsistent. You know, ooh, no one's saying amen to that. Let me tell you something. As parents, Pastor Nick... His role is to work with you to raise your kids in the faith, right. not to do it on his own. His role, any youth pastor's role, is to help you to grow in faith with your children. You know, I, I've, I, and this is one of the things that I've seen. I've seen parents who have been hypercritical of the church, hypercritical of sermons, hypercritical of pastors, and then they wonder why their kids are critical. Yeah. Well, if you sow that, you're going to reap that. Sorry. 
But if you sow, I'm going to support the pastor, I'm going to support the church, then you're going to have kids that support it. You know? Come on, let's, let's just be real. Let's not just gloss things over. You know? Or parents that are unteachable, they know everything, then their kids have the same attitude, and they don't want to be taught by anyone. I mean, that's not the way it works, folks. I'm sorry to tell you, burst your bubble. You know, another thing that I've seen in the, in the years of being a church is they de-emphasize the importance of going to church. Well, we could do other things on Sunday. That's our Sabbath. No, time out. That's not what Scripture teaches. It's not your Sabbath. It's His Sabbath, you know? And when our kids were little and they played in sports, we told the, we told the, the teams that they were part of. Our kids are not playing sports on Sunday from 8 o'clock until noon because they have church. And if you want them on your team, they're going to play, but they're not going to play during Sunday school or during church services. That's back when we had Sunday school. You know, and then parents, they, they, what do we emphasize? We emphasize things, well, it's not important for you to go to church. Just go to your sporting event. And then when they're older and they don't want to go to church, why? Because we've cultivated that very thing. I mean, come on, let's just be real, folks. You know, another thing, and, and, and let me tell you, this is not reaction to anything. I, the Lord spoke to me before we went on vacation about all this stuff. One of the things that amazes me is parents ground their kids from church. The very thing that's going to help them through their troubles. I'm going to keep you away from a place that's going to make you righteous and obey, obey your parents. I'm going to keep you away from some place that's going to help you to overcome all your fears, anxieties, and worries. Don't go to church, but you can hang out with your friends that aren't Christian. Yeah, come on, watch TV. Mm, yeah. You know, parents, and, and this is not a, a sermon to bash parents, but this is a, a sermon to help you to, let's get a, a realistic look. If you don't prioritize faith in your home, don't expect your children to prioritize it in their lives. We have to be people that prioritize faith in our home, not just Sunday, not when we have what we, we call afterglow. You know what that is? That's where we go home and tear apart the sermon about how terrible the pastor was or how terrible worship was or how terrible this was. We, we talk about building up one another. Whatever is, is praiseworthy, whatever is building up, that's what we focus on, not on what we tear down. Right, Moving right along. Let me one last thing about parents. Faith is more caught than it's taught. Yes, that's right. And if you're not living it out, your kids are going to model that in their lives. Right. All right? Third thing, third purpose of Christian community. This is where you might want to grab your, your cell phones and get some pictures ready. It's really about the whole concept of breaking bread. You see, there's a thing in Scripture, in the, in the Greek language, the New Testament was written in Koine Greek, okay? It was, it's not classical Greek. It's a little bit different. It's not modern Greek, all right? And they use the term one another. The term one another is used over uh, uh, 100 times in Scripture, 47 verses it's used. Paul uses it 60% of the time uh, when he's teaching. And it, it can be divided into four different categories for use. Okay? And so the term in the original language, and I think we have it up here, yeah, is the word alalion. Uh, it basically means one another. How do we serve one another in our community of faith? Well, the first one is about worship, and, and you know, I know uh, well, I'll pick on worship, Pastor. Can I pick on you, Pastor Rebecca? Thank you. I got a thumbs up. Uh, it's, it's, it's not about a sloppy, wet kiss. It's not about this. It's about worship as four references in Scripture, what we do with one another. It's greet one another with a holy kiss. That doesn't mean we come up and plant a wet one on the lips of our worship pastor every Sunday. It's, 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 a, it's a cultural thing. You know, if you go to the Middle East, a lot of times they'll kiss you on each cheek. You know, it's very cultural, okay? 
but greet one another with a kiss. Paul basically and Peter are the only ones to do that. The second one, this is where it gets really interesting, because the second concept of one another, most of the scriptures that reference it talk about the concept of unity, of how we function together as the body of Christ. So if we're really being one another, go to, go to this. Look, it says, be at peace with one another. Don't grumble with one another. Don't lie to one another. Go to the next slide. Be the same mind with one another. Accept one another. Speak truth to one another. Wait with one another. Oh, wow. You know, in the early church, they would just take communion, just guzzle it down because it was like, you know, first come, first serve. I'm going to get what I can take, you know? Don't, don't envy one another, tolerate one another, be kind to one another, bear one another's burdens, forgive one another, seek good for one another. All of these things are talking about unity. And if we're truly the body of Christ, we do things in a unified thing. Does that mean we all have to be the same? No. You know, you may like a Dodge truck and someone else may like a Ford truck and someone else may like an electric vehicle and someone else may like a bicycle. It doesn't really matter. It's not talking about us all being cookie cutters. It's talking about although we are different, we are one in Christ. Why? Because we're unified in the Lord. And it's the Lord is the common denominator, the glue that helps us stick together. And in the midst of all of our differences, which we all have, you know, you may not like, uh, you know, I always, you know, this is a misconception a lot of people have. If a, person is, if a person is from the Latin American community, they have to like hot food. Right, Rick? <laughs> you know, I've met El Salvadorians. Some El Salvadorians like it spicy. Some don't like it spicy. I've met people that like tacos and other people that don't. You know, it's just you don't stereotype someone. As a Christian, we don't stereotype, and we all have to be the same. We're all different, but we're unified in it. The third third thing is interesting because not only is, it, 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 is there a concept of unity in it, but there's also the concept of how do we instruct each other in devoting ourselves to loving one another. Do you know, God so loved the world that he gave his only son, but yet I've met Christians that don't love brothers and sisters in Christ. How are you expected to love the Lord who you don't see if you don't love your brother who you do see? That's what scripture says. So look at some of the passages it talks about. We're called to love one another. Look at all of the scriptures that talk about how we're called to love one another. Does that mean we, 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 when we see someone, we automatically love them? No, love grows. You know how it grows? By spending time together, by cultivating a relationship with them, by working with them, by being with them. By understanding, helping to understand, sitting down and talking to them. That's how love grows, you know? Another thing is we should, go back up one slide. We serve one another. We, t oh, we, we tolerate one another? Wait, scripture says we should tolerate one another? You know, I want my way, you know? But no, it's his way, not your way. We greet one another with a holy kiss. Go to the next slide. It says we're devoted. What does devotion mean? Devotion means you're committed, no matter what, to that person. You know what? As your pastors, we're committed to you, whether you're good, bad, or ugly. You know that? It doesn't matter. We're committed to help you to grow in your faith. And part of it is knowing who we are helps you to know who you are in your faith. And look at another one. We comfort one another about the resurrection. Hey, you know, Lynn's father, I remember when we were first married, Lynn's father used to always say to us, this too shall pass. Which means, you know what, I've lived a life long enough to realize that what you're going through is going to come to an end. 
And now what do we say to our kids? This too shall pass. And what we're doing is we're comforting them because we know what the end of the story is going to be. It's not going to be as bad as it always is. And what Paul says is we encourage one another about the coming of the Lord, the resurrection of the saints, that, hey, the worst you and I are ever going to have it is right now. Yeah. You know that? And we encourage each other in Scripture because we know that there is a place prepared for us. Now, we don't just live for that because we want to live an abundant life now, but we're also realizing that there is a future that we have that's beyond all the junk we're living through right now. And he says, you stimulate, and this is really good, you stimulate one another to love and good deeds. How many of you remember high school biology? Any of you remember high school biology and you'd have to do the frog and you'd have the frog stretched out on the table and, and you'd press a, a, a little, the teacher would tell you where to press a little uh, needle and then the, the frog's legs would twitch? Well, that's what we're doing to you. We're poking you to get you to twitch to do what God wants you to do. And a lot of times we just need a little poke. It's not necessarily a spur in the ribs, just a little poke. Go to the next one. It says, one more, there you go. This is the fourth one. And this is interesting because... Being with one another surrounds itself with a concept of humility. You know, pride does what? Precipitates the fall. You know? You ever watch those uh, YouTube videos of the person speeding and all of a sudden they cut in front of someone and it's an unmarked police car and the lights go on? Or they cut in front of someone and a tractor trailer tends to hit them and pushes them into the guardrail. There's something that people like when someone gets caught doing something they shouldn't. You know, humility is saying, I am not better than you. You know, just because a person may have more money or more education or a higher status in the workplace doesn't make them better than you. You know, we all are born from ashes and we're going to end in ashes, right? We're all the same. Doesn't matter who we are. We are all the same. And that's why it talks about, and I love the, the reason I put John up here first about washing one another's feet is because that's, that's a sign of humility that Christ took. And when he did it, his own followers didn't get it. Pastor Lynn talked about this last week. Well, if you're going to wash my feet, then wash all of me, is what Peter said. And what did Jesus say? Those who are clean don't need to be washed. But he took on the servant of a, uh, the nature of a servant. That's what it's calling about. Preferring one another in love and honor, according to Romans 12.10. Another thing it talks about is not being haughty or arrogant. How many of you like arrogant people? Anybody? No one out there likes arrogant people? But that's what he says. But have the same mind for one another. That we are brothers and sisters in Christ. He says serve one another. Be subject to one another. Go to the next slide. You know, one of the things that we do here is we regard one another as more important than ourselves. You know what that is? That's sacrifice. You know, everyone thinks that we have this until we're tested with it. But the only way we could do this is clothe ourselves in humility. The only way we could do this is learning to serve one another. And this is really the, the thing that God is trying to develop in us. You know, James, in James chapter 1, verse 27, says, pure religion is this. Listen to this. Pure religion is this, that God our Father accepts us as pure and faultless to look after orphans and widows, those in distress, and keep ourselves from being polluted by the world. Why did I go through all of this before we had communion? Because a lot of times the church wants to straighten everyone else out but themselves. 
And the fact is, God is working on us so that we will be pure, so that we can address other people. One of my my philosophies in life and ministry is this. As a leader, I cannot take you someplace I have not been. And as a pastor, we as a church can't go someplace unless we've dealt with ourselves. Now, does this mean we become what I call belly button Christians where we're just looking at our own navel all the time? No. But when we take communion, Scripture says we should look at ourselves and see if there's any way in our life that is unpleasing to the Lord. And if there is, we're to confess that. And if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And James tells us that if we're going to have and practice pure religion, we do it in a body of believers. We do it in a community of faith. We do it in a group of people that are not perfect. I'm not perfect, and I hate to tell you, you're not perfect. And we're not going to be perfect until we stand in the presence of the Lord. But the one thing that we can do is we can be brothers and sisters in Christ. We can forbear with one another. We could put up with the weaknesses of one another. We can encourage each other as the day is, is coming about. And we could do what the Lord's called us to do because judgment begins first with us. It doesn't be, God's not judging the world. He's judging us right now. And when we come together as a body of of Christ, we are to look at ourselves and say, Lord, is there anything in my life that's not pleasing to you? And if there is, Lord, let me do a front-end alignment. Let me get recalibrated to be walking walking in stride with you. That's that's what it's about, folks. That's what communion is about. Scripture says if we would wheel over the communion table over the set, it says on the front of this, do this in remembrance of me. So what did Christ do? Christ took, in in Philippians chapter 2, I don't have the passage up here, but it says, he took on the very nature of a servant, humbling himself. He basically emptied himself so that we could have a relationship with God. And that's what the Lord's asking us to do. He's asking us to come before him and say, Lord, if there's any ways in me that are unpleasing to you, I yield them to you. I confess my sins to you. Now, when you come in, you should have been served a communion element. Does anyone need elements? Does anyone, did everyone got them? Raise your hand if you haven't been, received any. There's one up here. You know, I love communion because it, it's a reminder of what the Lord has done for us. And at Crossroads, we're not part of a, a church that you have to be a member here. You just have to be a member of the body of Christ. And Scripture says that before we take communion, we should evaluate and look at our own lives. This is not looking at someone else's life. This is not looking at the person next to you and saying, well, you know, I know there's things in his or her life that are messed up. This is about looking in the mirror, you know. As a great theologian, Michael Jackson said, look at the man in the mirror, you know. (laughs) What are we doing in our own life? Are we living the way the Lord's called us to live? And not our interpretation of what we read in Scripture. Are we living according to that? You see, because the problem with theologians is this. They interpret the Word of God to their understanding. Scripture interprets itself. And I'm asking you this morning, when we were going through this message, did the Holy Spirit point some things in your life that you need to bring into alignment? And if so, let's do it. Because once we do that, then we could take the gospel outside to others. But the Lord wants to address us as individuals. And you know why? Because he loves you so much 
He wants you to walk in the fullness of understanding of who you are in Him and what He wants to do in you. You know, Paul told the church in Corinthians that when we gather together, we do it in His name. This little wafer is a representation of the body of Christ. It represents His brokenness for us. And Paul says, before we take it, we should examine our lives. So let's do that. Father, right now we ask if there's anything in in our lives, anything in my life, reveal that to me. And as the Lord has revealed that to you now, the Lord is asking you to just confess that to Him. If you've not been living like part of a community of faith like you should, ask the Lord to forgive you that. If there's areas where you've kind of glossed over your relationship with Him because of your sense of understanding more than you know or maybe some pride or maybe some trying to protect yourself, then just ask the Lord to forgive you that. And know this, if you confess your sins, He's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So Lord, we just do that right now. We confess our sins to you. And we ask that you'd forgive us and cleanse us to make us the men and women of faith that you've called us to be. In your precious name. Shall we take the bread together? Scripture says that after supper... He took the cup, and I love this because I love the phrase he used to describe the cup. He says, this is the cup of the new covenant, that which means right now, this morning, as you're sitting here taking communion, it's a new start with the Lord. He's going to remove that from you. He's going to remove it as far as east is from west, Scripture says, but today is a new start. And you and I have the opportunity today to decide whether we're going to continue on that course that the Lord has for us. So, Lord, right now, we just thank you for this cup, which represents the new covenant of your blood for us. And, Lord, we just lift this cup to you and ask you to bless it to our bodies, Father, in Christ's name. Amen. Shall we partake? Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Why don't we stand? Pastor Rebecca is going to lead us in song of worship. But I want you to do this for homework. I want us to live out what Scripture teaches about who we are as men and women of faith. That we can be the body of Christ. We can be the community of faith to build up and strengthen and encourage and to serve one another like Scripture says. Pastor Rebecca. If the altar's where you meet us Take me there, take me there. What you need is just an offering. I'm right here, my life is here. I'll be a living sacrifice for you. You're a fire, the refiner. I want to be consumed. I want to be tried by fire, purified. You take whatever you need.
prayer teams available if you need prayer. Let me just say this. I was in a meeting this week and a person asked me, do you think that we're experiencing a rise in warfare or the enemies? Kind of, uh, he's no longer covert, he's overt. He's not even trying to deceive. He's so like clearly going after things. And I said, yes, there is a rise. But as we know, when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Lord raises a standard against him. But let me say this. We have to be obeying the Word of God. And one thing that has been a lack in the church culture, specifically of the Western world, the U.S., is community. True, healthy community where our place of influence and accountability is with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And Christians have sought out community elsewhere and in doing so, and it may seem harmless to them, doesn't mean we don't involve ourselves to be influencers, but we Christians have become influenced with the values and priorities of the world. And it looks harmless, but it's not. Because what it's done is it's caused people's hearts to grow cold. It's caused their passion for Jesus to be uh, down the priority list. And Pastor David and I, we have such a strong conviction to build the community, to have you realize and recognize that we are a muscle church together. The enemy wants, and I see this all the time with the believers, with, that he gets them isolated. And where the isolation first begins is here, in their mindset, in their thought life. Get them isolated, and then the enemy is persistent in that. And pretty soon their thoughts are in the wrong direction. 
are echoing the things that the enemy wants them to, to echo and, to, and, and they've received the seed of the world. And I'm telling you, we're going after this. We're going after building community. We're going after being accountable to one another. We're going after being a, a place where the Lord has said, I have called you to be an oak of righteousness. I'm going to say this. The hope for the next generation is the strength of our community. The hope for the next generation is the strength of our community. And the strength of community comes through us as human beings. Saying, he's first. And we will do it your way. And that means I've got to change. Lord, purify us. In areas, Lord, that we have been lax. In areas we have been compromised. In areas where we've placed other things before you. In areas where we have kind of um, made excuses. We've accommodated the world. We've accommodated certain philosophies because they looked harmless, but actually brought harm to the spiritual lives, maybe of our children or, or people around us or even ourselves. Lord, we ask for forgiveness, Lord. We repent of that. We repent of that. We humble ourselves. We humble ourselves, Lord, in this time of communion right now. That's what it's all about. We humble ourselves. Lord, we want to see this next generation know you. We see this genera next generation not uh, destroyed by the, the deceptions of the enemy, destroyed by his ways. But Lord, rather that this next generation would be strong and courageous. This next generation would be oaks of righteousness. Lord, you said greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Lord, we're going to stand in that. We're going to stand in your word. We're going to stand in the truth of your word. Lord, we're going to align ourselves with your word. We're going to align what we do with your word. We're going to align what we think with your word. We're going to align our practices in our home, our decisions that we make with your word because you said greater is he that is in you so we can look at the world and we can see all the that we can even actually highlight what the enemy is doing as if it's intimidating to us but you said greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world now activate yourself obey my word walk in my spirit and we do this, Lord, together as the body of Christ. We do this together, united as one. And Lord, we are committed to build a healthy community of believers in this region for your glory. In your name, amen. If you need prayer, we have prayer teams. Please come and receive prayer. That's part of being a part of a community is that you have that support. So come and receive prayer. Sign up for the men's retreat. Sign up for the women's retreat. Be a part of that. God bless you as you go.
Fill this place, set it ablaze, and 